right, it is great to see you this morning. Appreciate you being here. If you're joining us online, we appreciate you being there and uh, being a part of our service today. We hope you have a great day. Uh, we certainly had a great start last week to our look at the book of Job. And Kevin started us off, and you know, it's just a, it's just a fantastic book. It's, and one of the reasons it's so good is because it's timeless. And here you got this ancient account uh, dealing with an issue that all of us still deal with in our lives today. There will always be times in our lives where we have to deal with the issue of suffering, sometimes even extreme suffering. And we're so grateful to God for giving us this book to learn from. Don't know if you remember, but last week we saw that Job was a guy with a great reputation. He and not only had a great reputation with other people, he had a great reputation with God. God himself described Job. And he said regarding Job that he was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning from evil. And God blessed Job. He blessed Job with, he blessed him with a big family, had 10 kids, blessed him with a lot of wealth, probably needed that with all those kids. Things were going great for Job, but then one day, Satan came to God, and we got to see that glimpse into that moment in heaven, a really unusual moment that we looked at last week. Kevin covered it, but let's go back and start reading a few verses of that in chapter one again, just to get the setting for what we're gonna talk about today. So looking at verse eight, it says this, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So here's Satan, he's, he's doing his typical thing. He's all smug, he's like, hey, sure, sure, Job's following you, God, but Job, he's following you because you're making life so good for him. You're meeting his needs. Sure, he's following you. Sure, he's, he's serving you because it's not costing him anything to follow you. You protect him, you bless him, no wonder. But on the other hand, if following you actually cost him something, if following you made his life not go so good, then things would be different. He'd curse you to your face. So typical of Satan. He's always trying to manipulate and maneuver, right? He's always trying, that's what he did with Eve in the garden. You know, Eve. You know, come and eat, eat this tree. I know you're not supposed to eat this tree. That's what they say. But you come and eat this tree, it'll be, it'll be good for you. You'll suddenly become wise. You'll know good from evil. You'll have all this good stuff happening in your life. You'll be like God. Come on, Eve. That's always Satan's attempt to manipulate, to maneuver. He's trying to do it with God. Of course, God's not going to be manipulated by Satan. Make no mistake, God is in control here. And he restricts Satan. And he has a higher purpose in Job's life that he's going to work out. It's also a higher purpose that he works out in our lives. 
He's always interested in us growing. The New Testament tells us that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trials, right? He, he's, he's God of all comfort. And what he wants us to do is learn from those trials so that we can comfort others. I'm convinced part of why Job went through, he went through, we'll see that at the end of the book, I think some of it, but a part of why he went through what he went through was for us. So that we can sit here thousands of years later and learn from his life. Well, this is where we are left off. It's a cliffhanger. What's going to happen next? What's Satan going to do? What's going to happen to Job? And how's he going to respond? So we're going to pick it up, verse 13. It says, now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another one also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Well, right there, that has to be one of the absolutely worst days ever, right? Can you imagine having a day like that? I mean, it started out pretty routine. Job's kids are at their oldest brother's house. They're having a party. They've been having these parties regularly for some time. Life was pretty normal. It was their average day. We also know Job has been offering weekly sacrifices for them in case they had sinned in what they were doing. And he's no doubt still doing that. I mean, life was normal. And that's when suffering a lot of times hits us, isn't it? I mean, out of left field, when we weren't expecting it, on just your average day, life takes a sudden turn. And that's what happened to Job. And nothing probably could have stunned Job more than the news he was just about to get. I mean, put yourself in Job's place. If this afternoon, after being in church this morning, you're feeling pretty good, you've got everything in place, and you've worshiped God, you're, everything is great between you and him, you're having a good day, you're looking forward to a relaxing rest of the day, you're looking forward to the week ahead, and then out of nowhere, imagine if tragedy struck. I mean, talking about tragedy like you've never experienced before, tragedy like you might never see again. That's what happened to Job. The first messenger came. He probably came running up. It's like he's trying to set the scene for Job. And Job, the oxen were plowing. I mean, it's a normal day. Work's getting done. The oxen were plowing. The donkeys were feeding. It sounds pretty peaceful, right? I mean, it sounds like something you'd see down in Amish country. You know, the, the oxen are plowing. The donkeys are feeding. And then out of the blue... 
this tribe of people, the Sabians attacked. Job, no one saw it coming. And they came with plenty of firepower and they grabbed all the oxen, they grabbed all the donkeys. It's a big haul because if you remember, we've already been told in verse three that Job had 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. And the Sabians got them all and they killed all of Job's servants who were there. It was a slaughter. All except this one guy and he was able to get away to tell Job what had happened while he was still speaking. And by the way, did you notice the repetitive phrases that are used here? While he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, I'm the only one who escaped, I'm the only one who escaped. Those phrases are being used like a drumbeat here. They're used to make it feel to us a little bit like what it felt like to Job. Like he was getting punched in the gut over and over and over again. It's like there's no chance for Job to respond, to process what had just happened. He can't catch his breath. Can't catch his breath physically, can't catch it emotionally, can't catch it spiritually. While the first guy was still talking, while Job was still hearing that first batch of bad news and trying to get his bearings, another messenger came running up. He's like, Job, the fire of God fell, lightning struck. It's sort of ironic that Satan would use what this guy called the fire of God to get at one of God's servants. But it fell and it burned up the sheep. Remember, Job had 7,000 sheep and now they're all gone. And so are all the servants that were in the area. It's devastating. And Job's hit again. And as the second guy is telling Job his bad news, before he finished up, another guy came running up. Job, the Chaldeans came in three bands. It was terrible. They were everywhere. And they took all the camels, all 3,000 of them. And they killed all the servants except for me. And Job is probably speechless at that point. I mean, the loss of property, that's incredible. But the loss of life, it's overwhelming. It's unthinkable. All that bad news is piling up. And not only do we have the rapid fire repetition of all the bad news, but it's also all pointing to and building up to what is the worst news of all by far. When the final guy comes. And I've got to think with this guy, his approach is probably way different. I mean, if those first guys came running up and they're yelling out the bad news, this guy probably came a lot slower, don't you think? And probably quietly coming to Job. Job, all your kids, they're having their party. And Job, a, a big wind came up and I don't know how to tell you this. The house fell, Job. And all your kids are gone. They're all dead. So sorry. Those kids that no doubt Job had loved with everything he had in him. And we all already know how he had been concerned for them where they were spiritually. All of his kids are gone. 
and on top of all the other losses, now his family is gone. There's nothing left. It's complete devastation. And in just a matter of minutes, his life went from being the richest, most powerful man in the area in the world to being the guy who's a pauper, a pauper who lost his family. How do you respond to that? Seriously, what, what would you do? We've all seen people respond to devastating events in their lives, and obviously people almost always respond with grief, and that's, that's normal. In a loss, grief's a natural response. We all get that. Nothing wrong with grieving. But then on top of that, people sometimes respond in other ways. You know, beyond the grief, sometimes, sometimes beyond the grief, we complain. Something hits us out of left field. We weren't seeing this coming. It's hit us down. And now we complain. Hey, this isn't right. It's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. And we feel justified in voicing our complaint. We feel justified in voicing our complaint to others. We feel justified in voicing our complaint to God. We feel justified in voicing our complaint about God to others. And we complain. Sometimes we respond with questioning. Where's God in this? Why doesn't he do something? I thought he was supposed to protect me. I thought he cared. Where's God? So we begin to question. And sometimes people question so much and so long that they actually come to a point of denying God. Sometimes we fear. Sometimes people get so focused on what may happen next because they didn't see the first thing coming and now they're concerned about what's going to happen next. What's the next, where's that next blow coming from? And they can't seem to get rid of that thought. And so they walk around in fear of something else bad happening. And then sometimes it seems like people go through all the options it's like with some, they lose all bearing, like they're completely lost and they fall apart. But then you see somebody else and they're facing suffering and they grieve just as much as anyone, but they go through that grieving in a different way. They grieve with assurance. They grieve with security and strength. There's a peace about them, even on the worst day. It's like they have a foundation to stand on that other people just don't seem to have. And when you see that, you're so glad to see that in someone because what an encouragement it is as we face our own struggles to see that peace that they have as they go through. It's such an encouragement. And that's how Job initially responded to his losses. Take a look at what Job did in verse 20. It says, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin nor did he blame God. There's Job's response. On his worst day, he got up, 
He tore his clothes. He shaved his hair off. That's grief. That's extreme grief. That's the way in their culture a person expressed extreme grief. Tear the clothes. Shave the hair. But then came the unusual part where instead of complaining or questioning or fearing, he fell to the ground Which I think, if you've ever been to that point where you've got nothing, you've just experienced a loss, and you don't have any hope on your own, and so where you go to before God is the ground. It's like, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm out, God. I've got no strength to handle this. He fell to the ground and he worshiped, and he said these words. Now what I want to say is this, I hope we never get to the point where we hear these words and they don't really impact us. They don't really grab us like they should because they're powerful words. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. What's he saying? He said, He's saying, I'm content having nothing. And that contentment comes from being settled in his mind on a few truths. Like having the conviction that he came into the world with nothing and he'll leave the world with nothing. See, all the stuff that we have, none of it's going to last, is it? I mean, the homes that we live in, the vehicles we drive, the clothes we wear, the money we save up, none of it is going to last. And it's all well and good. God blesses us with that. We should enjoy what he's blessed us with. But we've got to keep in mind, it's just temporary. And I know we say we know that. But watch what happens when we get hit in one of those areas. And it shows us really what we believe. I mean, if you lost your house... That would be something that we would all grieve over. But when we move from grief to complaining or questioning or fearing, that tells us what we really believe. But if we know it's temporary, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about losing it. We don't have to be desperate when we do because we know it was never going to last in the first place. I think Job knew that. Job knew that before the, he lost the first animal that this was all temporary. And then Job saw clear, clearly that all he's been given during his life, even his relationships, they're really God's. And because they're his, he has the right to make them, to take them if he chooses. See, Job didn't worship God to get out of it all he could get himself. You know, that's why, that's not why we should be worshiping God. Job worshiped God because God was worthy of being worshiped. That's why we should worship God. That's why we serve him, because he's worthy of being served. That's why we follow him, because he's worthy of being followed. Job's attitude is one of supreme faith and total trust in God. So if you are facing tragedy, would these be the words out of your mouth? 
You've got to remember, Job knew nothing about what happened between Satan and God and the conversation that we were let in on. He didn't know how God viewed him. But still, even at this point, there's no questioning God. See, Job, Job's not trying to solve the problem of evil. He's not trying to answer the question about whether his problems are coming from God or from Satan. He's simply acknowledging that right, right here that, that what he's known all along, everything is in God's hands and we can trust him no matter what we're facing. And believing those truths fully makes all the difference in how he responds to the worst day of his life. See, Job knew what it was like to be a man with God and be satisfied with that and that alone. When God's all I need. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That word blessed, it's an interesting word, so it's sort of strange. It's a word with two different meanings and the meanings are the exact opposite of each other. Like, uh, this is the same word that Satan uses back in verse 11 when he says that Job will curse you, God. Curse and bless. Same word. Sort of strange, right? It's, some people have compared it to, uh, there's a phrase that people, I think, used to say. I don't think people say it much anymore. But they say, somebody would say they're going to bless someone out. I bless that person. Well, they didn't mean, hey, I want, I want good things for that person. <laughs> no, they're, they're giving him a piece of their mind. That is the same way that word could be used two different ways. This word used two different ways. And, and, and some have pointed out, they think the writer of Job, who we, we're not sure who wrote Job, but the writer of Job is trying to make the point to Satan, hey, you said he would curse God? Guess what, Job and Satan? He blessed God. Instead of cursing God to his face, Job praised him humbly. And it's all capped off with, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Well, if Job didn't charge God with doing anything wrong, he must have believed that God had a higher purpose for what he's going through. So when you look at Job... And you want to be able to handle the worst day of your life. You don't want to fall apart on that day. You don't want to lose all bearings on that day. You have to be fully convinced. And I'm talking fully convinced. Not just giving lip service to these truths. You've got to believe completely that nothing in this world will last. None of it. It's all temporary. Everything we have, it's temporary. That God has ownership of everything you have. And that God has a higher purpose for anything that touches your life. When you're convinced of those truths, that gives you a foundation to stand on when things go bad. And it will keep you from being shaken and falling apart by the circumstances of life. No matter how difficult they may be. So how are you going to respond on the worst day of your life? Hopefully it's with the kind of convictions that land you on solid ground. In 1910, there was a preacher by the name of Luther Bridgers. 
And uh, Luther got asked to come speak a series of meetings in Kentucky. And so he accepted the invitation. He left his wife and three kids with her dad, uh, his, his father-in-law, and he went to do these meetings. Uh, and uh, they had three little boys, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a seven-month-old. And they're left with his father-in-law. He goes, does these meetings, and, 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 and they go great. He's all excited about these meetings. People are turning to Christ like crazy. And, and he's so excited. And the last day of the meetings, he was told he had a phone call. And so he goes to the phone, and he's thinking that this will be his wife, and he'll tell her about all this great stuff that's been happening. But instead, it's a friend of his who t- has to tell him that his father-in-law's house had burnt to the ground and his entire family was lost. And I'm sure Luther was devastated just like all of us would have been. It's devastated because it's normal to grieve. But you know what he did? He went back to the church and he went in and he told the people what had happened and he asked them to pray. The thing is, he didn't ask them to pray for himself. He asked them to pray for people to come to know Jesus before tragedy struck their lives. See, he knew what it was. He's so close to God, so, so confident in who God is and what he meant to him, so close in that walk that he knew now in his time of need, God was giving him peace that passes understanding. This is the same guy, guy, by the way, who wrote the words to hold him that some of you would know. He keeps me singing. And one verse of that hymn says, though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see his footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. If Jesus fills your every longing, you're going to handle the worst day of your life. If you're sitting here and you haven't come to a point of trust in Him, and you're wondering how you could possibly make it through difficult heart-wrenching days, I'm telling you, Jesus will come into your life if you will invite him in, and he'll come into your life, and he will change your life. He'll forgive your sin, and he'll make you right with God, and he will walk with you through every moment of life, no matter how difficult it may be. And all you have to do, you have to turn to him and ask in faith to say, God, I know, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your grace and I don't deserve, God, you walking through life with me. But I need it. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. I know Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. He paid that penalty for me. And I'm trusting in that payment, God, And so I'm asking you to come into my life, change my life, and walk with me through life. Forgive me, God. 
And the, the moment you take that step of faith, He promises to change you for all eternity. And He will be there with you on the worst day of your life. If you take that step, He promises to do that. If you have questions about doing that, and you have other questions you'd like to answer, have answered, you can come and talk to one of the pastors here, and we would be glad to sit down and talk with you about anything, you, any question you have about taking that step. If you are a follower of Christ already, and you want to be able to handle the things that might come, because we all are going to suffer at some point, then you have to believe fully in your heart that there is nothing in this world that will last, that everything you have is just temporary, that God has ownership of everything you have, and that God has a higher purpose for your life regarding anything that touches you. If you fully trust and believe those truths, that when that worst day comes, you will handle it with peace and assurance in the love of your God. Choke your mind in those truths so that you'll be ready for that day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to you for your love and your grace your provisions for us. And Father, for those that may be here today who've never taken that initial step of faith, God, I pray that they would take that step right now. They'd just turn to you and ask for forgiveness. They'd trust you today. Father, give them new life. And Father, for those of us that have experienced that new life, God, we want to be a good testimony to the world around us. This is a world that's, that's looking for answers and looking for people that can, that can handle life and handle the struggles of life and do it with, with peace in their lives. So God, help us to represent you well in this world. Help us to honor you with the way we handle, Father, the worst day of our lives. Thank you for blessing us with all that we have. But God, help us to acknowledge that it's only temporary. And it's all in your hands. And God, we know you've got a higher purpose for us than just what this world sees. You want to use us for your glory. And Father, we pray that that would happen. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.